Welcome to the Faith Podcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe the Word of God has the power to transform your life to the life God has always meant for it to be. And we believe today's message will do exactly that. Glory to God. Romans chapter 5. This has been our text scripture for the series that we've been on. And the series is called, if you're just joining us today for the first time, The Slave Market, The Groves, and The Father's House. The Slave Market, The Groves, and The Father's House. This is part three of the series that we're doing in March. In the first part, we looked at redemption. We said redemption views us as being redeemed out of the slave market of sin. So we tracked it through the word of God and what redemption made available to us and what Jesus had already done for us. And all we have to do is receive. That we don't have to work for our redemption because our works could not get us out of the slave market. No no, man could get us out of the slave market because everybody was born in sin. But Jesus, born of a virgin, the living son of God and fully man. You see, to be a substitution and a representative, he had to be 100% God and 100% man. And we viewed what he did in that first week with redemption. And last week, we looked at repentance and renewal. We defined repentance as simply as a change of mind and a change of direction. That you repent, you change your mind about what you're doing and you head the other direction. And when we talked about renewal, we said you have to renew your mind daily, not just Sunday. That you have to stay in the word of God and renew your mind because by the renewing of your mind, according to Romans 12, your life is transformed. And so I don't know why in this series I have a whole bunch of R's, but we're going to look at another R today. So Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And it says, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Thank God. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he showed, he proved his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't deserve it, Jesus died for us. When people can say, well, you can forget about them, Jesus said, no, they are valuable to me. We know the price that was paid for our redemption is the blood of Jesus. And so you always have to remember what is your worth? The blood of Jesus. So you never settle for anything less than what God has for you. So keeping these things in our mind, we're going to add on to what we've been teaching in the previous weeks. Go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Starting with verse 11. In context, the parables of Luke chapter 15, the different stories that Jesus tells here, is talking about God's heart toward the lost. You can't forget that at one time you were lost. Sometimes after we're saved for so long, we forget that we're lost. And it's good to forget what you did before, but you also have to remember God's heart is still towards the lost. After you get saved, he didn't stop caring about the lost. He still cares about the lost. So Jesus is telling this parable because the religious people were upset that Jesus talked to sinners. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. The thing is, if you are so holy and so set apart and so uppity, 
that sinners don't want to be around you, you're not as much like Jesus as you think you are. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus. That doesn't mean you compromise your standard. You're still holy. And that holiness is fueled by the love of God. Now, I'm not saying that sinners are in your intimate circle, your best friends that you depend on when you're going through. I'm not talking about that. But there are people in your life more than likely for 99% of the people in the room that you know they don't know God. And they're not gonna come to know your God because you stay away from them and go, hmm, I know what you did at the club, I can't talk to you. They're not gonna come to know Jesus that way. But we'll get to that more this week and next week. So Luke 15, starting at verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. So remember, he's continuing the thought. He had just told them that when one sinner repents, angels rejoice in heaven. So in this mentality, he says, now a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. That's a legal request. He had an inheritance. Dad, give me my inheritance. He received his inheritance. Notice what it said next. And he divided unto them his living. Not just the son who asked, but also the son who didn't ask. They both got their inheritance. Remember that when we get to the end of this parable. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Went to some place he had no place to be. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now I want to define a few things for you. Notice he wasted his life in what he had. Riotous in the Greek is asotos. Now we know in the Greek sozo and soto means saved and safe. When it's a soto, it means unsaved or against saved. So what happens? This man left the father's house and began to live an unsaved lifestyle. Now when you look at the definitions, here's how it defines an unsaved lifestyle. Lacking restraint, especially marked by indulgence in things as drink or promiscuous sex deemed vices. This is what the dictionary is defining it. It's not my opinion, this is defining what the Greek word is. So that means you don't need to be sipping in order to turn up. That is defined as an unsaved lifestyle. You're not supposed to have that testimony. I blame it on the goose, I blame it on the hitting. No, that's not supposed to be your testimony. (laughs) Promiscuous sex, sex before marriage. Well, it's 2015 and? What does the year have to do with anything? Does God change with the years? No. His word doesn't change with the years. He did not send an updated version. It's okay, you need to try it out before you get married. No, that's not what God said. (laughs) Don't listen to people just because they're saying what is convenient to your flesh. Beware of those who tell you, oh, it's okay, you know, you're just human. No, 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 you're redeemed. You're not just human. Never consider yourself as only human ever again. You are the redeemed and view everything you do in life as the redeemed. I don't do these things not because I think I'm better than somebody else, I just know I'm not them. They're still in the world, I'm redeemed. So I'm gonna live as the redeemed. 
It continues to define it as a life of squ- uh, squandering and lacking legal or moral restraint. It's a life of no self-control. Especially disregarding sexual restraints. You see, what people do in culture today is not new. They've done it all throughout history. See, I like history. I like studying empires and things that have passed. When you look at different reasons why empires fell in the past, you realize America is doing the same. Mind a quick little history lesson real quick? When Rome was coming into power, they had the strict stance and they said homosexuality is a Greek problem. We don't do that over here when they came into power because Greece was falling out of power. Rome came into power and it progressed through the Roman world. It kept increasing to the point that Nero who had a girlfriend who was pregnant who he kicked and she lost her baby and died, was running around his palace with these teenage boys in blonde wigs. Nothing is new. It always progresses. It was normal in that time for even people of a state, men to walk around with these little boys. No restraint. Know where the devil is heading. And if you're caught up in a lifestyle, leave it. You don't have to get yourself out. You just need to come to Jesus. Let him get you out. Don't say, well, I'm going to clean up and come to Jesus. No, no, no. If you could clean up, you wouldn't need Jesus. Just come to Jesus and let him clean you up. As we talked about getting out of the slave market, your sin did not put you in the slave market. You were born into sin. But Jesus can get you out. So it doesn't matter what sin you're in today, whether you are an alcoholic, whether you smoke weed, whether you are gay or lesbian, that does not matter. Jesus still loves you. So you're saying you want gay people to come to church? Yes, I believe the word. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I want them to come to church. You want people who drink a lot to come to church? Yes. Don't you? I actually believe the Bible works. I'm not trying to have this holier than thou social club. I just believe that what we offer can change somebody's life forever. So this son did whatever he wanted, whatever felt good, and as a result, he wasted his life. Now what happened to him? And when he had spent all, because you know if you got a whole bunch of money, you're going on the party scene, You got a lot of friends when you got a lot of money. You got a lot of attention. Everybody is at your party. But when you run out of money, everybody's gone. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in lack. I don't have enough to buy food. I am hungry. This is the first time in his life he's ever been hungry. He's come from a rich house. He's come from a well-to-do house, a very affluent background. He has never been without. He is a son of a rich man. Now he's starving. 
And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. What did the son do now that he's without? He goes and puts himself in a slave-like condition. He goes to a place that he was never meant to go. It's like some people, when they backslide, they go back and act like they're in the slave market even though they're redeemed. They got sidetracked in the groves, and now they're in a position like they're still slaves. And what made it worse, not only to become in a slave-like condition, here's the person he joined himself to is a Gentile. So you know that's messing with them. He's coming from a Jewish culture. Not only did I not do everything I'm supposed to do, now I'm joined to a man who doesn't even know God, and he has to meet my needs. Your job is not supposed to meet your needs. The government is not supposed to meet your needs. Your family is not supposed to meet your needs. God's supposed to meet your needs. Trust not in princes, the Bible says. Trust not in governments, the Bible says. Don't trust in your education. Don't trust in what you can do with your own hands. Trust in God. Why? All those other things will fail. Think about it. Unless they raise taxes and the government keeps giving you stuff, the government's going to go broke one day. That's just common sense. Somebody's paying the money. Well, that's a whole nother message. <laughs> and he sent them into his fields to feed the swine. Now, I'm not talking about food this week. Y'all can take a deep breath. <laughs> but remember to the Jews, swine is unclean. Amen. Not only is he in a slave-like condition, not only is he joined to a Gentile, he is now feeding what he considers unclean. And it says... He was so much in want, so hungry, that he wanted to have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Not only is he with the unclean, now he wants to eat like they eat because it's better than what he's living right now. How far has he fallen? And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, thank God we come to ourselves. He said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? How many of my father's employees have more than enough? And they just work for him. They're not his kids. They just work for him. What am I doing feeding pigs and wanting to eat the pig slop? What am I doing here? Why am I hungry? I shouldn't be hungry. I shouldn't be without. I shouldn't be in this condition. I shouldn't be wearing these clothes. I shouldn't be living this lifestyle. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. So he prepares his really good speech. If I say these things, my father is definitely going to take me back. Notice his repentance wasn't based off of, oh, man, I really blew it. His repentance came from a place, I am hungry. I am without. My life is a mess. But I know if I go home, my life will be fixed. You don't see him weeping and crying, oh, I messed it up, I messed it up. No. He just, by the definition we gave last week, by repentance, it means to change your mind and go the other direction. He realized where he is was not where he's supposed to be. So he changed his mind 
and went the other direction. It's a form of repentance. So he has the speech, make me your employee. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Why? His father has been looking for him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, he cut him off. I don't need your religious speech. All you had to do was come home. He stopped them right there. And notice what he said to his servants, to his employee. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This dude stinks. Come on, you know if he cannot afford food, you know he can't afford a shower. He's been living with pigs, covered in dirt and mud. I'm sure he stinks to high heaven. So much stink, he can spray all the acts you want, but it's not going to cover it up. But what does the father say? Give him the best robe. Give him my robe. His dignity is being restored with that robe. His authority is being restored with that robe. His position is being restored with that robe. Notice what he said next. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He doesn't even have shoes anymore. But I want you to notice about this ring. The ring is not just for decoration. The ring in those days, especially of rich people, of, of royalty, is basically the example of an unlimited credit card. So he could go to the market and buy whatever he want, stamp his ring, and that stamp said, my father will pay the bill. He came home, dignity restored. He gives him his everything he has. And that ring, whatever you want, it's yours. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He just came back, got the robe and everything. Put shoes on his feet. And he says, and bring here the fatted calf and kill it. And let us be eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now the fatted calf was the choicest calf. It was the best one in the field. Now I was reading another book about something else and it started talking about the fatted calf. The reason why those who can afford the fatted calf always kept one there is because after the tradition of Abraham, when God visited him, that he killed the fatted calf and gave it to him. So all the Jews who could afford it would keep a fatted calf just in case they had a visitation just like Abraham. It was reserved only for God or for a holy feast. But this son who had wasted his life who may not even have the right motives of coming back. The father who represents God in this parable gives the son what rightfully belongs to him. All he did was come home. All he did was come back to the father's house. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what, what do these things mean? And he said, your brother has come, your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. 
Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He gets offended. Just like church people. You know the Bible says don't be touchy. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not touchy. Why are so many people in church touchy? He's offended. Why did God bless him? I've been doing all the right things. Why did they get a new car? Why did their house get paid off? Why did they get healed? Well, you may not say it out loud, but you put it on Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) Texting people, Snapchat. Well, it's going to delete anyways. Watch your mouth. Watch what you post, watch what you tweet, especially when it concerns the anointed of God. Just because CNN does a story about somebody, you need to learn by now, don't believe everything the news people put up about people of God. They have alternative purposes. Watch your mouth. We're going to talk about this in the anointing series because God says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. The purpose of the anointing is to remove burdens and destroy yokes. So if you keep running your mouth and become a burden and a yoke to the anointing, to the anointed, the anointing has to remove you. You get the backhand of the anointing. Healing, blessing, pow. Watch your mouth. Say, well, I'm an American. I can say whatever I want. When in Rome, do what Romans do. If you do what Romans do, you die like Romans do. Watch your mouth especially in times when the power is being turned up judgment and grace happen simultaneously remember Ananias and Sapphira that would be a CNN special people came to church they lied to the preacher and they died story at 11 don't get in the way of what God's doing even if you don't think they did the right thing God did not appoint you as the critic of everybody. That is not a gift of the Spirit. That is not a ministry office that you correct everybody, especially publicly. That's not your job. If someone misses it, it's their spiritual leadership's job to correct them. It's God's job to correct them, not yours. Well, I think this, and? Well, I want to say this, and? Is God telling me to say it? And then when you say it, how, what is the motive of why you say it? Do you say it because you love that person or you want to show that, well, I'm doing better than they are in that area? And sometimes when you look at it, the real root is jealousy. I don't understand why they have that. I don't have it. I remember I was listening to a preacher years and years ago, and whatever local media was complaining about how much money he had then. And he said, he just kind of answered honestly, he said, you weren't with me when I had food stamps. You didn't complain then. You weren't with me when I was in those food lines and they were feeding me. You did not complain then. So why do you show up now that I got money? Watch what you say and don't judge a situation just because you see a news article. News articles, going back to a number of years ago, when a senator decided to go after all these ministries. By the way, he found nothing. He made a big noise and found nothing. Now, I know these ministers. I know some of these people personally, spend time with them personally. And you know, they called the IRS, said, is there an issue? They said, nope, your books are perfect with us. 
Because the Senate has no right to get the people who actually give. That's what they want the list so they can publicize. Here's the people who give to these people. It was a tactic of intimidation. If I intimidate the givers, they stop giving and the gospel can't get out. So they came and they found nothing and they put like a little small thing in their local paper saying, oh, we found nothing so they can prove that, that it wasn't libel or slander. But they did it. Know the reason. Look beyond the Facebook post. Look beyond the news article. Remember there is an enemy. Look beyond. People are like, oh, I want to be on a reality TV show. Really? You know, they're going to edit out a whole bunch of stuff. And then when they put it up, it brings shame to the gospel. You want to analyze everything you do in the light of, will this make Jesus famous? People are going to talk regardless, but don't give them extra room to talk. Well, hope that rabbit trail bless you. Back to the story. So he gets angry. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time your commandment. I've done all the law. I've kept it. I've done what you wanted me to do. And yet you never gave me a kid. You never gave me a goat that I might make merry my friends. You didn't throw me a party. But as soon as this, your son, not even my brother, your son <laughs> was come, which has devoured your living, what you work for, with harlots. Nowhere in the parable did it say he spent his money on harlots. It didn't say that. He is assuming. Or you see, the guy who stayed, his mind was on whores, not the other son. Just because you're in the house of God doesn't mean that your mind is on the things of God. Your mind can be on harlots too. I'm just reading the Bible. And thou hast killed him for, for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, son, you are ever with me. Now say these words with me. And all that I have is thine. Remember, he gave both sons his inheritance. The older son never enjoyed it, never used it. And then the father wanted to say, everything that I have belongs to you. You don't have to get it one day. If you want it, it's yours. I'm sure the older son had a ring as well. But he never enjoyed what was given to him. So many people, we get in church and we're caught up in this mentality. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And we forget John chapter 10, verse 10. And the Amplified verse says, Jesus came that you might have and enjoy life. If you're not enjoying your life, you're not doing it right. And you don't have to be out in the world to enjoy your life. He said, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead. Remember, he's your brother. And is alive again. And was lost and is found. So you may be in the place today and you need restoration because you blew it. You messed it up. You squandered it. You lived a lifestyle, and now you are in want in whatever area in your life. Now you are hungry or thirsty in whatever area of life you are doing without, and it's your fault. But God can still restore. So the art we're talking about today is restoration. He is the God of restoration. You could have messed everything up, but if you repent, 
and come to God, he will restore. Now to keep what he gives you, just renew your mind so you don't go back to the groves and end up living like you're in the slave market. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. He's the God of restoration. 1 Samuel chapter 30. You're in the Father's house. Everything he has is yours. That sounds like some of the things we were talking about last year. God's given you everything. You are owners with stewardship responsibility. Everything belongs to you. Everything is yours. You are a joint heir with Jesus, meaning what belongs to Jesus belongs to you too. Everything God has is yours. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that they were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city. Behold, it was burned with fire. So all their houses burned down. Everything they had burned down. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Imagine this. David and his army coming back from doing what they're supposed to do. They come and see everything is gone. Your whole city is burning to the ground. The smoke is still rising. Fires haven't been put out yet. Everybody in your family is gone. And you don't even know where they are. Then David and the people that were with them lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They cried until tears wouldn't come anymore. They cried till it was now just a dry heave. They had no more power to weep. Imagine this depression that has gripped them because of what the enemy has stolen from them. It's not fair. I'm sure that's what some people were crying. It's not fair. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I lost everything. It's not fair. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now you have to understand the army that was with David when they first came to David, they were in debt, they were murmurers, they were complainers, they were backbiters, they were the lowest part of society, nobody wanted to be around them. And so when David needed an army, those are the people who came. And when you see where they ended up, they were all prominent people, very rich people, a lot of them became millionaires. They had families now. They had all these things now, they had their own city. Through David's leadership and the anointing on his life, he brought them to this place. And now they're talking about, let's just kill him and get it over with. 
Imagine what David is going through. He has lost everything too, and now the people who are supposed to have your back because they're going through too, now they want to kill you. He's on his own. It's not fair. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. You have to understand, life is not fair. But God is just. You have to understand that you may be going through depression or pity right now because of what you lost. But you have to realize one day that you have to get out of this depression. You have to get out of this pity. You have to get out of this woe is me and know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. You have to know that God is still faithful that God is still on the throne, that he has not forgotten about me. You have to be like David who knew God has anointed me to be king. All, those, all these people want to kill me. Now my friends want to kill me. My enemies want to kill me. My family is gone. I have nothing, but you are my God. You look at these psalms and how they start, they're very emotional. He's going, God, have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten about me? What's going on? But by the time it ends, he is good and his mercy endures forever. You may open your mouth and this wine comes out, this complaint comes out, but begin to change your words and begin to say, my God is good and his mercy endures forever. He is my God. He is my portion. I'm picking myself back up I'm going forward because my God is just you have to learn how to do it at your weakest moment when you're calling people and no one's answering the phone when you can't get the right encouraging message you need you have to have enough spiritual wherewithal within yourself to get back up again to stand strong having done all stand and see the salvation of the Lord you have to know how to pick yourself back up. It's not the preacher's job to pick yourself back up. It's not your parents' job to pick you back up. It's not your friend's job to pick you back up. It's your job to get back up again. You have to encourage. You have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. As Proverbs says, if you faint in the day of adversity, you faint because your strength is small. So strengthen yourself. Remind yourself. It's like Psalm 77, that Psalm of Asaph. When he began talking about the rough night, it was so bad he couldn't sleep. Saying, has God forgotten to be merciful? In that psalm, he can't find, he said, I haven't missed it that I know of. I'm doing everything right. Why am I going through this trouble? And then he says, I will recall the years of the right hand of the Lord. The right hand representing God's delivering power. You see, the Jews were taught three things since they could earliest remembrance was that God, he blesses, he guides, and he delivers. He blesses, he guides, and he delivers. So Asaph is in this problem. Has God forgotten to be merciful? I'm going to remember. He blesses, he guides, and he delivers. And you get to the end of that psalm, and he's standing strong again. I'm going to go forward. You got to remember who your God is. And that the only way you've made it this far is because he brought you through stuff in the past. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. So he said to the priest who was near, bring me this priestly outfit. And David inquired at the Lord. 
he asked God, what do you want me to do? How shall I proceed? Am I going to get it back? And he answered them, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Go to verse 16. It looked impossible. How am I going to recover? I lost everything because life is not fair. But he knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. God, what do you want me to do now? And God gave him a word in due season. Now David has to have the wherewithal to go and follow that word. He has to have the strength as a leader to tell the people with him, don't worry, we're going to get everything back I've heard from God. Verse 16, they find them, they overtake them. And when he had brought them down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from twilight even unto evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his wives. Notice this, notice this, notice this. Not only did they take everything from them in Ziklag, they had been raiding the Philistines. So although they had all of their stuff, they had other people's stuff too. And so when God sent David after them, David got everything he lost back and some. Because if the thief be found, he has to pay double. And another time the promise, if the thief be found, he has to pay seven times and the substance of his house. I'm here to tell you by the Holy Ghost this morning, you shall recover all. There are some of you in here, you have lost stuff because life is not fair. But the Holy Ghost told me to tell you this morning, you shall recover all. You will get more than what you lost. You will get even more because God is just and he is faithful and he has seen what you went through. So what you just need to do is inquire of the Lord, what are my instructions, sir? Do those instructions. Keep this word in your mind. Keep it in your heart and go forward. Make some hustle with your faith. Make some grace with your labor and go get everything that God has for you. You shall recover all. He can go, well, just that's a nice story, preacher. I don't know about me. And then it won't happen for you. The word won't be profitable for you. Or you can do what it says in Hebrews and mix the word, the hearing of the word with faith. You mix what you hear with faith and you go do what God tells you to do and you get everything back plus some. You shall recover all. It doesn't matter what you lost or why you lost it. If you lost it because you messed up or you lost it because life is not fair and life just happened, you can recover all. Go to Joel chapter 2, winding down. Joel chapter 2. You shall recover all. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Glory to God. You shall recover all. Come on, say, I shall recover all. I shall recover all. Joel chapter 2. Glory to God. 
Glory to God. Glory to God. And in context of the scripture, Israel sinned. They're going through things because they messed up. It wasn't just individual sin. The nation had sinned. Then he says in verse 12, Therefore also now says the Lord, Turn ye even to me. Repent. Come back with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, not your garments. Don't be religious. Just turn your heart. For the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repents him of this evil, this trouble. He doesn't want you to go through this trouble. He is merciful forever. So turn. And he continues to tell them how to turn, what to do. He tells the preachers, those who haven't left God, the priests, he says, I want you to pray and, and, and intercede and ask for mercy. Pray for the people. And those of you who are the people who have left God, you need to turn. And here's what he says. If they turn, what will happen? Verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. He says, you turn. He's going to pour out this rain. What will this rain do? And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. It's an agricultural society. They've been going through a drought. They didn't have enough because the rains weren't coming. And he says, if you turn, God will cause the rain, and you will have more than enough. Everything you have will be filled to overflowing, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankworm and the caterpillar and the palmworm, my great army which I sent among you. These caterpillars, these cannonworms, these things came and ate their crops and ate their harvest because they had left God and judgment came. It is their fault they're in this situation. And he says, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, shall be saved. This is what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. At the outpouring of the Spirit, when the rains of God were falling like they were falling earlier in this service, the rain of God always brings restoration. So you see the move of the Spirit happen, just go, I know God is restoring me. Because the rain is falling. And the rain keeps falling. There's former rain that fell in the book of Acts. There's latter rain that fell in the last century as the Pentecostal movement was rebirthed in America and around the world. But we're in days even now when they're going to increase when the former and the latter rain are coming together. Because it says in those days, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's an outpouring of the spirit that we're walking in, that we're in covenant with God in Exodus 34. Well, he'll do marvels and wonders far beyond any nation has ever seen. Why? Jesus is coming soon. So he'll give every sign he needs to, raise up every preacher he needs to, do every miracle he needs to, to get everyone 
God's attention, even if he has to turn the moon to blood, which happens next week. Signs, wonders in the heavens, on the earth. The outpouring of the Spirit, the rains God sends, brings restoration. You got time for one more scripture? I don't know. A few people have time for one more scripture. You got time for one more scripture? Mark chapter 10. And we'll close here. So we know God can restore if you miss it. He knows he can restore if you lost it because life is just not fair. Look at Mark chapter 10. And we'll look at this last area. Mark 10. Verse 26. This rich man came to Jesus. And Jesus gave him instructions he didn't like. And he left away sad at that saying. Like some people are at offering time. And so Jesus makes a statement. He says, it's easier for a, can- a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? These are the disciples. Now look, if all the disciples are broke, they will say, amen, that's right, Jesus. Rich people can't get in. So you know, they're kind of concerned. Wait a minute, we got some money. What about us? And Jesus counters their thinking and says, with men is impossible, with, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So it doesn't matter what their condition is in life, whether they're broke, whether they're rich, if they follow God, they get in. And notice what he says next. Then Peter began to say unto them, remember, Peter's the leader. He's representing them all. Lo, we have left all and followed you. We left everything. This guy is not willing to leave stuff. We left everything to follow you. There are times in life you give up stuff because you're following God. He tells you, don't do this. Don't do this right now or don't go here, don't go there. And it may not be wrong or sin that's defined in the word of God, but you know what God is leading in your heart, so you give it up. You don't do it because God leads you to. And will God make you do without just because he led you to? Look what Jesus said to him. Verily I say unto you, I'm telling you the truth. There is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children, no more wives, and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. Notice, you may have to give stuff up because you followed God. But Jesus said now in this time, not in a sweet by and by, not when he get to heaven, not when you cross those pearly gates and dance on those streets of gold, not then, now in this time. Because some friends may not have been willing to go with you. Because you follow God and you felt lonely for a season. God said you won't be without friends forever. I'm bringing some friends that are a hundred times better to you. You may have some family that turned their back on you because you follow God. He says, I'm going to bring some people that are like family that are better to you. 
You may have to leave this house, leave this land, move here, move there, because I told you to, and I'm bringing it back to you a hundred times. So it doesn't matter what you have given up for the sake of Jesus, what you have given up for the sake of the gospel, the promise of Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the risen Lord, if you shall receive 100 fold now in this time. So that's what you need to say. I didn't just give it up. Oh, it's coming back a hundred times. It's coming back a hundred times. I'm going to recover all. The rain of the Holy Ghost has fallen. I'm recovering all. I'm getting a hundred times back. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. And I'm positioning myself for my harvest. Because it's going to be exceedingly, abundantly, far above all I can ask, think, pray for, imagine. Because that's the God I serve. He is the God of restoration. Because you're in the Father's house and everything he has belongs to you. So renew your mind to this. A hundredfold. Renew your mind to a hundredfold. Renew your mind to recover all. Renew your mind to encourage yourself in the Lord. Renew your mind to those things. And pursue and recover all. Redemption, repentance, renewal, restoration. Because you're not in the slave market. You're not distracted in the groves. You are in the Father's house. And what we'll get into next week is going to be another R. If you're in the Father's house, everything belongs to you. You can start to redistribute. You can start to pass out. Because see, the thing is, we've looked at several things that apply to believers in this series. But how much more to the backslidden? How much more to the unbelievers? So what you are charged with doing by the Holy Ghost is everything I've been saying to you the last three weeks, go and tell somebody. Tell them it's not by their works they can get out. Tell them that Jesus paid the price, they just got to walk out. And they just got to believe. Tell them that he can restore them. Tell them they just got to turn their mind, come back. When we get into it next week, oh, you can redistribute. Why? It all belongs to you. I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, but you would like to today, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe He died for me, but on the third day, He raised Him from the dead. to you. Email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's info at FCCGA.com. We would love to hear from you. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, you want to give financially, also go to FCCGA.com and you'll find out how to do so there. Enjoy your